0: God, you are our Father. Jesus is our Savior. The Holy Spirit fills us so that we might be renewed in our thinking and in our feeling and in our behaving as we follow you. So, God, as we have uh, worshiped you as Trinity, as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we have hopefully focused our mind and softened our hearts before you were ready to receive your word. So, speak to us now. Make us the kind of people you want us to be. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There is a phrase all of you have heard since time you were little ones. It's the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, we've all heard that one. I remember the first time I heard that years ago and thinking to myself, you know what, I'm just not sure that's true. I think that's awfully an unfair phrase to old dogs, if you ask me. And the reason is because I know plenty of old dogs that have had to learn new tricks. And they've done it quite well. Uh, Kim and I, as many of you know, moved here just uh, almost five years ago from Cleveland, Ohio. Before that, we were in Canada for a few years, and we picked up a dog in Canada named Chester. He's now gone. He got old and died. Here's a picture of him. But when we moved to the valley five years ago, we had Chester, and he was getting older. And did I mention he was born in Canada So he was a a bred dog in Canada, a little Jack Russell Terrier. And when we moved here, I said to the kids and Kim, you know, we got to be careful. There's rattlesnakes and scorpions and cacti here in the desert. we got to watch this guy. So wouldn't you know, three weeks after we got here, one of our relatives was visiting, had Chester out in the desert, let him off the leash, and before you know it, he bound right into a Cholla cacti. The worst kind. Got it in his snout and his face and then tried to get it off with his paws. Two hundred and forty bucks it cost me at the vet to get all of those things out of, of his. But you know what's fascinating? He never went near a Choya cacti again. <laughs> I mean I was stunned, the guy learned avoid those things. And we've seen that happen a lot, Well, Kim loves dogs, so we have two now, we had three before uh, Chester died, and you know we, we adopted one here since we've moved here and the other dogs adjusted fine to her. That We have a dog door here, we didn't have that in Cleveland and they've learned to use a dog door. We have different furniture here in some ways and we now they now know what furniture they can go on and not go on. I'm sure the guy that, that, that coined the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, had a very dumb dog, and he was very frustrated with that dog. I get that. But it's not fair to say that all dogs are that way, and I think many of you could agree. So you're saying, why do you go into that? Well, I find that people, who by the way are smarter than dogs, tend to be wired similarly. Some of us think that people can't change. Some of us think that people are incapable of growing and adapting new patterns and adopting new values and things like that. I don't believe that. Neither do you or we wouldn't be here in church. God says that we are all capable of changing and growing no matter how old we are, that we can become the kind of people that he wants us to be. And so if you can latch on to that, that's precisely what we've been doing in this series that we're in on the values of our church. But we've been talking about the things that we hold dear as the body of Christ here at Scottsdale Bible Church, the things that have taken us over the last 50 years to be the kind of church that we are. So we've talked about things like uh, transformational Bible teaching, the fact that we teach the Bible unashamedly because we believe it has the power to transform lives. We've talked about engaging worship, the fact that we engage God in worship because we believe by so doing we submit to him and prepare ourselves for the week. We've talked about authentic community, how getting honest with each other and confessing our shortcomings and listening and loving and learning together, but we can grow closer to God. And then last week, we talked about service-based outreach. Wasn't that a week where we learned that when we mix service and evangelism, it's catalytic in the hands and of God as he uses us. These are the things that have carried us over the years. They're the values that have made us us. And as we noted early on in this series, they've worked for us. And so this year, if you don't hear anything else, what you need to know is that our elders and our staff and now hopefully all of us are stacking hands on these things saying they've taken us for 50 years they're going to take us for the next 50 should the lord tarry and yet just like an old dog who can learn new tricks we're also realizing this year that as we look to expand our impact nothing new but just expand the impact we have here in the valley and across the world there are some further things we need to embrace however building upon that, which we already do, certain other values that we need to ramp up on if we're going to get more mileage as a church out of the things that we've already done. Or put another way, if we're gonna attempt to build upon the values that have gotten us here, the Bible, worship, community, service, and outreach, and build upon them in such a way that we expand our impact, then there's at least one other value, and I'm sure more, that will be critical to our expansion, and it's a value that's gonna evolve each and every one of us in some way or another, and it's the value of generosity. The value of generosity. An older saint came up to me after this last service and said, you know, as soon as you got about six minutes into the sermon, I was like, I don't think I like where he's going with this. He said, then I got to the end of the sermon and I said, I'm all in. So if that's your experience right now, just hang with me. I think you're gonna like what you have to hear about how God can use our open-handedness, how he can use our big-heartedness when it comes to our time, talents, and treasures, when we get generous with those around us, with all of who we are. It's called generosity. It's a very simple thing when you think about it, but it's a profound thing in the hands of God when a church gets serious about it. And probably the most cool thing about generosity is that, get this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, if you've come to him through faith in him for salvation, then the Bible says that he has now written or encoded your soul with generosity. He has. He has now hardwired you in your redemption in Christ to be the kind of person that is generous. It's true or to reduce it to its most simple form, yet so very encouraging and hope-filled, and as our main point today, God saved you in order for you to be generous. In great part, that's true. God saved you, and the day that he saved you, whenever you came to Christ, whether you know the exact moment of time or not, God had in mind that he was creating a new creation in Christ who would be other-centered, selfless, focused on using your resources, your time, talents and treasures from this point forward to benefit God and glorify his his name as you pour into others generously around you. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, and I hope you did, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20. And as you're turning there, and if you don't have a Bible, I'll put it up here on the screen, the context here is that the Apostle Paul is just finishing his three-year stint in Ephesus, which is a town there in the Middle East. And he had led many people to Christ, he had set up the church, he had established elders, he had been teaching and preaching and living among them for almost three years. And toward the end of chapter 20 here, Paul is now on the shores of Ephesus there, and he's giving some final words of encouragement and warning to this church, and particularly to their elders. So don't miss this. These are the parting and final words from Paul to the church in Ephesus, knowing that he will most likely never see them again until heaven, arguably then the most important words that he would say to them and so notice how he wraps up these most important words so these are the final words of his final words in verses 32 to 36 of acts chapter 20 this is fascinating he says and now i commend you to god and to the word of his grace hang on to that phrase word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified i coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel you yourselves know how these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Now, what I need you to see more than anything else in this text here, this is really not complicated, is something... That up until a few months ago, I never saw in this text. I was reading some stuff by Tim Keller, who's pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, and he pointed out something in this text that I had never seen. And what he pointed out here is that there is an obvious link between our salvation, the word of his grace, and the call by Jesus and affirmed by Paul to give and be generous. Very fascinating. Very fascinating. And so Paul says there in verse 32 that he commends them to the word of his grace. The word of his grace. Now now, what do you think that means? It's actually an unusual phrase, though it sounds very biblical. Paul is combining there the Greek word logos, word, and charis, grace, that rarely ever appear in the same verse together. So it's a very unique phrase, the word of his grace in the New Testament. And yet what most Bible experts point out is that this is most likely a unique and poetic way to communicate our salvation in Jesus Christ. Think about it. God's word, his truth and revelation that has come into our lives via his grace, the grace that now saves us as well as causes us to grow in Christ. So the word of his grace is referring to our salvation that we have in Christ. And to be sure that we're interpreting this rightly, just a few verses before this, in verse 24, Paul says this He says, The ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So there's that word grace again, but this time linked to the word gospel, which we all know means the good news, it's our salvation. So Paul is commending the Ephesian elders here to the word of his grace, the gospel to have saved them and given them eternal life. And what's most fascinating then is that at this point you would expect him to say what you and I would say, say today. And that is he would say something like, well, now that you're saved, you ought to pray and go to church and engage in Bible study and serve in soup kitchens and listen to Christian radio. But it's interesting, he doesn't say any of that. No, he goes on to talk about generosity and right on the coattails of mentioning our salvation, he links it to generosity. He talks about how he used his time, his talents and treasures to help those in need and pour into others all the while, while avoiding covetousness and greed. And then he wraps up by quoting Jesus. Interesting, a quote that you won't find in any of the four Gospels, so most Bible experts say that this came down through oral tradition that existed at that time. He quotes Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Don't miss this, folks. It's a very fascinating link that, again, I got a seminary degree, I've been a Christian 30 years, I had not seen this before. There's a clear link between our salvation, the word of God's grace, and the call to give and be generous. Of all the things that Paul could have linked to our salvation, he links generosity. And it's not saying that generosity saves you. I think we all get that. He's simply saying that flowing out of our salvation is this hardwiring now in our spirituality to be generous. And he's speaking this to a church. Don't miss that. To the Ephesian elders saying, as a church, you guys now have the opportunity to be generous in order to have more kingdom impact as God uses you. And the question that I need you and I to wrestle with right now is why? I mean, why is it of all the things that God could have linked to our salvation, he links generosity? What is he thinking in doing this? Oh, what is it about generosity that would cause God to say in part that he has saved us in order to be generous? Two things I want to suggest to you in our time remaining this morning. Two things that are right here in the text. I'm just going to follow the flow of the text. That the Bible tells us here about the power and potency of generosity once it infects a human heart and is thrown upon a hurting world that can happen through God's generous people. And the first thing is, is that generosity heals a hurting world. It's true. That generosity heals a hurting world. And so look at how Paul says this in verses 34 to 35 of Acts 20. He says, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessity and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So here's one of the things that I did this week. Whenever I'm putting together a message like this, as you guys know, that's as topical in nature and kind of focuses on one idea, I want to make sure we define that idea, right? So I looked up the word generosity in Webster's Dictionary. And a defined generosity is this. It's defined as being excessive with something. Isn't that interesting? Being excessive with something. And in the context here, then, it would be being excessive to others with your time, talents, and treasures. And so with this understanding, this idea of being excessive with, now match that up against the text here and watch what happens. Paul says these hands, these hands, meaning his time and talents, were not just used to provide for his own necessities, but also for others, an idea of being excessive with them. But not stopping there, he further notes that these hands were working hard in order to what? Help the weak. Again, it's language of excess. And then he quotes Jesus, this saying in oral tradition at that time, and he says it's more blessed, language of excess, to give than to receive. And so Paul is clearly letting us know that he's talking about generosity This uh, here, this idea of being excessive, being overwhelming to others with your time, your talents,